We are here on this second Sunday of Advent. The series this morning is called Born the King. The subtitle is The Kingdom is Near. And I was wondering, what do you look like when you're expecting something wonderful to happen? I wonder what our keyboard player Randy looks like this morning when he's getting on a the biggest uh, roller coaster and the fastest roller coaster and the most amazing roller coaster. He's pretty excited about roller coasters. I wonder what you guys look like when you're going to the first Steeler game you've ever seen live. I wonder how you felt when you played the first game, when you ran out on the field and your family was watching. And I wonder what you looked like. I remember when I was in the first and second and maybe third grade, being anxious to go to school. After that, I wasn't too anxious. How many of you sharpened all your pencils ahead of time? How many of you pushed your little pink erasers on the end of those pencils? Did you get out your wide-ruled paper and put it in your three-ring binder? I know I did. What clothes did you wear the first day? How many times did you change your mind about what you would wear that day? I saw a video recently of a little guy that I know. His name is Andrew, and Andrew loves trains. He's been the imaginary conductor of many trains in his short life. He's five years old. He can tell you all about trains. He loves the caboose. Andrew got to ride recently on a Polar Express. He was beside himself with excitement. He could hardly believe that he was going to see a real train. He was so excited to hear the engine, to to hear the steam whistle. He was going to ride the train, not just see it and hear it, but ride it. Andrew was standing on the platform. He was leaning out to see the train coming. He was looking and looking and looking. His mom had a hold of his shirt to make sure he didn't go out too far. And then he got his first glimpse of the Polar Express. And he turned and he said, it's coming. It's coming. It's really, really coming. The train is coming. That was an excited little boy. And in my mind, in the dictionary, beside the word excited, I'm going to see Andrew. Because that was a great video. He was excited, and he was focused. John the Baptist was excited and focused on preparing people for the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was an unusual man. He was unique. He wore odd clothes, and he ate, well, gross proteins. He voluntarily lived in a wasteland. He had separated himself from the evil of hypocrisy of that day. The Gospel of Luke tells us that John was living in the wilderness when God's word, when God's direction came to him. He knew that he had a specific role to play in the world. It was his role to announce the Savior. And he put all of his energy, all of his excitement, and all of his focus into that one task. He was preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. I'll be reading in the New King James Version. 
Let me know when you found it. Say amen. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repeat, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fan. Do you know that's a pitchfork? Do you know that they used to work the wheat uh, with a pitchfork to separate the chaff from the wheat? And the chaff was just the, the hull. You know when you eat popcorn and you get those irritating little hulls in your teeth? Chaff. We don't, we don't want to be that. We want to be the wheat that he gathers into the barn. John was a pretty intense guy, and he was anticipating the new thing that God was about to do. John had heard the story about his own birth and the angel that told Zechariah that he would one day set, be set apart for God's service. He must have wondered when he was young what that would mean. Here he was, 30 years later, still faithful to that calling and finally realizing what God had wanted him to do. I bet John the Baptist was a little bit like Andrew, itching, anxious, ready to get to work, loving the Lord. He was the first prophet in 400 years. No wonder people came from far and wide to hear him preach. They were starving for hope, for comfort, for God. You see, in their day, Thousands of laws and rules represented God. There were so many laws and rules that no one could really keep them all. But John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he told them the truth that their sin would keep them from that kingdom. He told them that your genes, that's G-E-N-E-S, would not save you. 
he was referring to Abraham. Uh, he was referring to the fact that we all have to be responsible for our own salvation and our own relationship with the Lord. I once knew a woman who mentioned her grandmother all the time, her grandmother's tremendous faith, how her grandmother prayed, how her grandmother had seen miracles, what a godly woman her grandmother was. But I rarely heard this woman talk about who God was to her. John told them the truth. He told them, you are responsible to be ready for the kingdom of God. I remembered my friend when I read this passage, and I wondered why she didn't talk about her own relationship with God. John told the people that being descendant of, descendants of Abraham would not save them. He went on to say that if God wanted to, he could take the very rocks and turn them into children for Abraham. Then he challenged them to get ready for the kingdom of God, to repent of their sins and be baptized. We sometimes get the idea that prophet means fortune teller. But prophets are truth tellers. John the Baptist was telling the people that God was changing things. He told them something brand new was about to happen, and they would be left out if they didn't confess their sin and turn from their wickedness. He baptized people by the hundreds right there in the middle of the wilderness. John baptized them as a sign that they had asked God to forgive them. It started, it stated the people had received forgiveness. It started them along the path of making sure that their actions in their life would demonstrate their faith in God. Isn't it interesting that this took place in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere? Would you have thought that the first prophet in 400 years would have been seated in a temple? I would have. In a synagogue? Sure. Do you think that John avoided the temple and the synagogue because he didn't fit in, because he wore camel hair? No. When the people left the city to hear John, they were drawn away from the godless influences at home. There's a lot of significance in the place known as the wilderness in the Bible. We know that Moses was called in the wilderness. Not much around Moses. A lot of bushes, some of them burning. We know the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We know that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, just in the very next chapter of Matthew. Recently, someone in our congregation broke both her legs. She was in a wilderness. And Helen wrote a beautiful card to her, and in that card, she used a phrase, set aside. She implored Vicki to use her time wisely while she was set aside while she was in the wilderness. The wilderness seems to coincide with learning, doesn't it? Moses learned who he was to be for the Lord in the wilderness. The Israelites finally learned to trust God in the wilderness. Jesus taught us how to avoid temptation 
when he was in the wilderness. And sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness of a lost job, a sick loved one, a move we didn't want to make. But God uses wildernesses to teach us something. In Matthew 3, we find that out of the wilderness comes word from John the Baptist that Jesus is near. John ushered in the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus our Savior. And what could be more exciting than that? Advent is a time for us to look at our own wilderness. It's easy to understand that being lost in sin is a wilderness place. I remember it as a place of defeat and disappointment. I remember being unhappy and feeling empty, being unsaved in a wasteland that we don't want to confront while we're in it. And after we're out of it, we can't, we can't remember why we waited so long. Repentance doesn't mean, just mean to seek forgiveness. It means God will give us a new way of thinking. God's Holy Spirit changes us in a way the law never could. He will cultivate growth in us if we will allow ourselves to be set aside, if we will allow ourselves to focus on what it is he wants to teach us. In our text today, we read about new growth, even from a wasteland. New things are happening around us, too. Many of you have discovered that when you look for the hand of God, you find him. But often, we let our lives drive us at breakneck speed, and we miss the Messiah. Learning to see with new eyes is an important step. Maybe seeing the lessons in the wilderness is better than running back to what sent us to the wilderness in the first place. Maybe you're seeing with new eyes. The next step is to bear fruit of that repentance. We need to change our lives. We need to allow God to change our lives. What kind of people are we going to be? What is our purpose? What is our talents and gifts? Are we using them? Have we been filled with the love of Christ? Remember, as we lit the love candle this morning, that when we love others, we are demonstrating our love for our Savior. We are called to be the children of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God that John the Baptist was so pleased to present. The wilderness has most often been a place that people feared, but in our scripture today, it ended up being the place of preparation for the Messiah. It became a place of new hope, new life, and the beginning of a new people that God formed. Our lives could feel like a wilderness right now. It might feel scary, untamed, desolate, but that does not mean that we're abandoned. I'm thinking of the many illnesses we've been hearing about lately. There are so many people fighting battles with cancer and surgeries and depression and all manner of difficulties. It's a wilderness. I'm thinking about the state of the world where right is wrong and wrong is right and many are becoming hopeless, but 
we are not hopeless. We are not abandoned. And many more people who gathered, any more than the people who gathered to hear John the Baptist was abandoned. We are not abandoned. They were unaware of the new life and liberty that God was unfolding for them. Do you realize that? While they were lamenting their wilderness, God was working. God was working his plan. He made plans for them, good things. They were not aware of the life and liberty they were about to receive. They had no way of knowing the difference that grace makes. They lived under the law. They didn't know that the kingdom of God began the moment Jesus came to earth as a child in Bethlehem. They weren't there when even as a baby, the nearness of Jesus in his mother's womb made the baby John the Baptist leap. They didn't know that soon that same Jesus would give his own life so they could forever be in the kingdom of God. Maybe today, during the Advent season, we could begin to expect life in unexpected places too. There is a truth to be told. There's a life to be revealed. Even now, God is creating new children, not out of rocks, but out of us, out of you. We are the children of grace. We are part of the kingdom John the Baptist announced, just as if our names had been in that announcement. We are set apart for his service. We have eyes to see his majesty because he has opened our eyes. We have purpose. Every one of us who has encountered Jesus is called to share our testimony of what he's done. Whatever God has done for you, tell others. He has, has he taught you something? Has he given you something? Has he spared you from something? A few months ago, you'll remember that Jim was diagnosed with post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder. That's a mouthful. It's lymphoma. Then we reported to you about a month ago that the hematology oncologist wanted him to wait to receive treatment because his EBV titer was so improved. Now I'm happy to tell you that the latest biopsy proves what we believed God could do. The cancer's gone. The hematologist, the hematology oncologist herself called us, and she was on speakerphone talking to Jim, and she told him that no treatment was needed, that they would keep an eye on things, but he wasn't going to need any chemo. And I interrupted like I always do, and I said, where did it go? Where did it go? We knew that when he had the first biopsy, the pain went away. And it had been so painful it was hard to swallow. So the pain had gone away. And then we waited and waited, and they said, well, let's hold off on the treatment. And then, and then this second uh, biopsy, and then this call, where did it go? Where did the pain go? Where did the mass go? It was an inch and a half wide on the back of his tongue. 
It pushed against the side of his neck. Where did it go? She said, well, um, they took him off of one of those immunosuppressants, and uh, that, that must be what uh, allowed it to go away. But we know, don't we? And every one of you, every one of you that said even one prayer for Jim is a part of that miracle. Praise the Lord. It's our job to tell these stories. And I apologize for taking so long to tell you about this latest development. But I do know that sometimes you can be so overwhelmed by what God has done, it just makes you quiet. It just makes you quiet. I don't know why some illnesses are healed and some aren't. But I do know that we are all already healed of the fatal disease of sin. That is the one thing, that is the one thing for which we can do nothing. How much do you pay for a lie? How much do you pay for for something that you stole? How much do you pay for uh, a ream of paper that you took from work somewhere back in your history? We can't pay for one thing that we've done against God. Not one. But he paid it. And that's our healing. We are all healed if we choose to reach out, to ask for forgiveness, to let him come into our hearts. We are healed of the fatal illness of sin. And we become a part of that kingdom that God promised, that John the Baptist spoke about, that Jesus brought. How can we as a congregation be anything less than excited during Advent? I know the trees are beautiful, the decorations are fun, the food is great, the family coming in is Well, it's usually a good thing. (laughs) All the preparations and all the work and the money that we spend and, and all the energy that we exert when we're already tired for Christmas. Let's exert some excitement because this is Advent. This is God coming near. This is the reason John the Baptist was excited and leaning out, leaning out to see the Savior come. This is why he said, I'm not even good enough to carry his sandals. And I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with fire. And I just wonder, are you feeling any of that fire this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We should be jumping up and down like Andrew. He jumped up. I'm telling you in that video, he jumped up so hard, his knees came up to his chest. I I don't know, you know, too many ages that can do that. I know I can't. But you should have seen him. He jumped up and down. His little knees were bumping his chest. And that's how we need to be. Because we've heard this and we believe it. 
and we've latched on to it, but it's up to us not to let it grow cold. It's up to us to stir these things up in our minds and our hearts through the scripture by calling on the Holy Spirit to remind us. These are things to be excited about. We are all healed. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. I wonder if there's one here today that doesn't know the Lord. I wonder if there's one here today that's never reached out. If you'll all bow your heads, please, with no one looking around. This great news is for all of us. It's for the lonely, the challenged, the depressed, the sick. It's for those of us who are single and married. It's for those of us who work and who are retired. It's for the youngest among you, the oldest among you, the most left out among you. Is there one here this morning that would raise their hand and say, pray for me, pray for me. I won't embarrass you. I will not embarrass you. Raise your hand and say, pray for me because I'm not excited anymore. Pray for me because I've lost the excitement of my first love. Pray for me. Is there one who's never been saved? Is there one who doesn't know the Lord at all? All hearts clear? Praise the Lord. We'll dismiss with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that through this week, you will be, you will continue to deliver your word to us. Your scripture has been read. It's been heard. You've promised that your word would not come back void. I pray, Father, all my heart that your spirit will light a fire in this congregation and beginning with me I pray father that we will be a people on fire I pray that we will be a people anxious to tell everyone about what you've done anxious to love everyone because we know it means we're loving you you are so worthy father praise your holy name thank you for this season Thank you for your son. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.